with me to James chapter number four. James chapter number four. Excited uh, this evening to continue uh, to work our way expositionally through the book of James. Title of this evening's message is Dissension Among the Ranks. Dissension Among the Ranks. Um, we have made our way all the way through chapter three. We're kicking off chapter four this evening. We just finished a multi-week study on the wisdom that is from above and it contrasting against the wisdom that is of this earth that is unspiritual and even demonic, James called it. And so uh, let's go ahead and open our, our preaching time in a word a prayer to the Lord, just to once again, quiet our hearts and our minds. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you so much this evening that you are on your throne and you desire to minister to us even right now through your Holy Spirit, through your word. I pray that as we come to the word and we humbly submit ourselves to it, that it would change us to be more like Jesus Christ. I'm thankful this evening as I even looked around and, and saw individuals and families and couples and, and children. Uh, this is your church, Liberty Hills Bible Church, and how exciting, Father, it is to be a part of it. Even this evening, what a blessing it was to, to see Blake and, and Natalie serving uh, as a substitute for uh, our service and helping us with worship. Just a willingness to serve your body. Father God, I thank you that you don't desire a polished presentation. You don't desire the eloquence of man. But Father, you desire faithfulness. So I pray this evening that we, even as hearers of your word, would be faithful to steward this opportunity well for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, dissension among the ranks. This is somewhat of a familiar phrase that you may have heard in our society, right? Maybe you've used it yourself. Um, maybe it's uh, on the sports field, the opposing team starts to kind of pick at each other, kind of to get on each other as maybe the other team has scored yet another goal. And you have some infighting among the team. You were supposed to be there. You didn't cover your man. They scored. What's going on? Have, have you seen it in the area of sports? Maybe in your marital relationship, husband and wife start to kindly disagree on the timeline of a story that is being told. That's no, honey, that's not how that went. I said this, you did that, we were there, not over here. <laughs> My marriage would never have those conversations, but maybe you have observed that. Of course, not in your own, but you've observed that in some other marriages. And maybe the kids are saying, hey, there's some dissension among the ranks. Maybe it's in the workplace. You see your leadership 
Hopefully not visibly, but maybe you have. You've seen some disagreement on which direction the company should go, what decisions should be made, how the budget should be allocated. And your conclusion based off of the observation of that discord and that disagreement is that there is dissension among the ranks. What do we mean? There's a difference of opinion. There is a clear disagreement. There is discord that is present and it's evident by way of quarreling, fighting within a particular group. James chapter number four, right here in the word of God, James is writing this letter and he is somehow aware of some quarreling or some fighting or some discord, some disagreements that are going on in the church. There is indeed dissension among the ranks. And as such, James is going to address, or even we could say he's going to apply some of the previous teaching of chapter number three to our context specifically within the church. I so want to be clear. It's interesting as we look at different texts and scriptures that God's word gives us teaching and direction and commands with certain audiences in mind. Oftentimes, God's teaching by way of evangelistic presentation is for us to relate rightly to the world, those outside of the church. But here, right here in James 4, he's causing us to look inside the church and to consider how are we relating to one another? How are we treating one another? How are we even thinking about one another inside the church? Brothers and sisters, In Christ, we should relate to each other rightly in a manner that glorifies the Lord. But if you've been in the context of the church for any amount of time, you know that that doesn't always happen, does it? The church isn't exempt from disagreements. The church isn't exempt from discord. The church isn't uh, exempt from dissension among the ranks. And so James knows that. And so he is proactively teaching to the church in this great danger and warning them of how they should approach disagreement when it rears its ugly head in the church. So we mentioned James making some application over the the previous text. We know that uh, James chapter three, he talked about earthly wisdom and thinking. So over the next two weeks, we're going to work through these first 12 verses of chapter number four. We're going to consider how we approach discord, how we approach conflict in the context of the church. So this text that we're going to look at, we're just really going to really approach the first three verses this evening which means we have our work cut out for us next week uh, to cover a lot of ground. But this week, we're going to cover the first three verses. This represents really the first section or thought or main idea here in this paragraph of verses 1 through 12. James is going to draw the reader's attention to consider the true source, or we could even say he's helping them identify the origin of, of conflict. Where does it come from? What does it draw from? What is the source of the conflict that arises up from among us in the church? 
The second section is going to be the, the largest or the bulk of our text is going to be verses four through 10, where James gives a strong warning against and even condemns this quarreling. So there's conflict, there's disagreement, and then it results in outward expression. We are fighting, we are quarreling, and James is going to condemn that among brothers and sisters in Christ. This should not be a part of the church. We should not be known for this. And so he's going to lay some guidelines for us in regards to how we handle this conflict. And he's going to call them to a state of repentance. And he's going to give them a process to follow for them to maintain godly relationships within the church. So this first part, I'm just going to let you know, it's going to be somewhat of some bad news in verses one through three. We're going to expose the human heart the depravity of mankind. We're going to go to the source and origin of our sin nature. And there is no lipstick that can be put on that pig. It is an ugly picture. There's lots of despair that we will have apart from the hope and the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because left to ourselves, there will always be Disorder in every vile practice. Why? Because we are prone to wander. We are prone to pursue earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, even demonic wisdom that James has just spoken to at the end of chapter number three. And so the, the themes and the, the context carries over into our text in chapter number four. So the hope comes in the second section and then the third section, this final section, verses 11 and 12. James once again points our attention to the importance of and the potential impact that our tongue and our speech can have on those around us. Again, namely within the context of the local church. So the big idea of our text this evening What's the the, the core thought that James wants us to come away from here? It's this conflict in the church should be expected. That's that's not the whole big idea, but I want to pause there for a moment because we feel a little bit uncomfortable with that conflict in the church should be expected. Why? Because of our lingering sin nature. Conflict in the church should be expected due to our lingering sin nature. However, God's grace allows us to rightly relate to one another in a supernatural way as we humbly submit to God's will and his ways. This is our big idea. It's not a matter of if conflict will occur in the church, but really it's a matter of when. And when conflict does occur, what should we do? How should we respond How should we view and think about conflict? How should we steward even the opportunity of conflict for the glory of God? And so this evening, we're going to look at just one aspect concerning conflict inside the local church. And then next week, we're going to look at two more. So three total in our text this evening. We're just going to look at the first one. And it's this. The source of all conflict is the human heart. That's not a very profound statement. Pretty simple. You thought I was going to keep going. It's just that statement right there. The source of all conflict is the human heart. 
chapter four, verse number one. James now makes a clear shift in his teaching as he introduces kind of a new topic, but carries on the same themes. And he does that once again by way of a question. Verse number one, chapter four, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James reminds us that bitter jealousy, selfish ambition is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Do you remember chapter three, the end of it? Are you guys, are you guys tracking me? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. It is not the wisdom that comes down from above. He said it's earthly and spiritual and even demonic. James said that where this wisdom is found, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So in like fashion, carrying on those themes, James poses this timeless and universal question to every generation of the church by God's grace as they're working expositionally through James as well should consider what causes quarrels and fights among you. Now in the marital relationship, that's, that's a quick, easy answer, right? It's, it's her, it's him, it's the other person. In any conflict, is that not often what our human nature will default to? It's that person, it's somebody else, it's their problem, it's their response, it's their reaction. James is going to challenge this by drawing our attention inward to consider our own heart. The source of all conflict is the human heart. So what causes fights among you? This is the disorder that flows from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Are you seeing how chapter three plays into chapter four? James said that there will be disorder. What does disorder look like in the church as a result of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy? It looks like quarrels. It looks like fights. It looks like others pursuing their own will. It looks not like the mind of Christ where we defer ourselves to others' interests and not our own interests, but rather it's pursuing our own way thinking of nobody else in mind. So the disorder of chapter three has some skin on it. We know what it looks like. It's tangible now. It has manifested itself, that disorder, by way of quarrels and fights. The earthly wisdom inevitably produces quarreling. Brothers and sisters in Christ leading with jealousy, Pursuing selfish ambition, embracing their own desires. Friends, this is not a pretty picture of the church. This is not the bride of Christ that will be presented back to the Father. This is not the behavior that should be becoming of that bride. But it often is. This side of eternity, the church is made up of saved and progressively sanctifying sinners which means this side of eternity, we're still bound in this mortal flesh that is wasting away, of which we struggle, and we often lean towards the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
this side of eternity, we struggle with the pangs of of death and, and the lingering sin nature. Are we saved? Are we positionally justified? Absolutely. But we still have the flesh. So James wants us to be aware of these realities, to be conscious of the frailty of my flesh, the wickedness and the depravity of my own heart and how often when I relate to others in the context of the local church, often I will pursue my own way. I will leverage. I'll take advantage of. I'll hurt. I'll disappoint. I will let down. And friends, I pray none of those things ever come true, but they likely could. So when they do, how should we respond? The first element before we can respond rightly through a process is first acknowledging that there is a problem. The source of all conflict is the human heart. So James asks the question. He's done that often already through the first three chapters. He kind of lobs the question out there, gets their attention. And what does he do? I love this. He wastes no time in accurately pointing his readers toward the correct answer. Next phrase, second part of verse number one. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your, your, repeat again, your passions are at war within you. What's the answer? The source of all conflict is the human heart. Before his readers can answer his initial question with the pointing of fingers like we often do, or before they can call out the shortcomings of a spouse or a neighbor or a coworker, before they can draw attention to how big of a failure this person is and how that impacted you. And I, I'm just, you know what? If it wasn't for that person, I would have... Have you ever thought those things? Have you ever fallen into that trap of forgetting about our own ownership in the conflict? James calls his readers to look where? Not outward at somebody else. Certainly, as he's going to cover at the end of verses 11 and 12, not through the eyes of judgment or through the speech of judgment, not casting a finger at somebody else, but rather he calls them not to look outward, but to look inward. Your passions are at war within you. Not someone else's passions. Whose passions? Yours. Every single one of us here have worldly, earthly passions that are warring against us in our heart, in our life. Friends, I wonder if there's not an opportunity for us to hit a strategic pause button and for us to consider a moment of application. How do we think about ourselves? How do we view the passions that are in our own heart? Aren't we quick to minimize those passions and to elevate and maximize those passions in somebody else's heart? Wonders, we just take a moment to just pause and think, God, expose my heart. Search me, know me, see if there be any wicked way in me, the psalmist says. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. When's the last time you just had a moment with the Lord and said, God, expose my sin. Let my, the eyes of my heart see my depravity for what it is. When's the last time we saw our sinfulness in the ugliness of our sin before a holy God? James is drawing his readers inward to remember who they are in their hearts. Passions at war within you. If you have an active case of conflict, whether new or old, whether this conflict is acknowledged or unacknowledged, James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have us look inward to our own heart and he would have us linger there for a moment in an effort to remember that the source of all conflict is the human heart. I'm not a victim in the conflict of my own life. My passions, your passions, warring within me. The source of all conflict is the human heart. And it's driven by the reality that my passions are at war. And friends, I don't know about you, but as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I can't really imagine a more applicable passage for us to consider to prepare our hearts and our minds to partake the Lord's table, the bread, the juice, to do this in remembrance of me, to consider ourselves, to consider the body, to consider our relationship with God vertically, our relationship with others horizontally, and to consider, are we right with the Lord? Are we allowing conflict, whether verbalized or whether kept in in the crevices of our heart? Are we allowing conflict to, to hurt and to minimize and to limit relationships in this body? What causes quarrels and fights Among you, friends, quarrels and fights don't always have to be outward. They don't always have to be verbalized. Can we not quarrel with somebody in our own heart? Can we not fight and resist God's will in by way of a relationship in our own heart? Friends, this evening, my call to you would be to let the Holy Spirit work and to move in that situation and to draw us to a place of first acknowledgement and then repentance. And I'm thankful that Andy shared the verse that he did, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can't help but think of Romans chapter number seven as Paul describes these passions that are war within him. Do you remember them? He says this in verse number 15 of chapter seven, for I do not understand my own actions. Now that is a statement of acknowledgement. That is the statement of a man who's not minimizing, not justifying, not disregarding his sin nature and his passions that are war within him. Paul says, I don't understand it. I don't understand my own actions. He goes on in verse 15, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my my members, my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. I love That passage that Paul so passionately describes his desire to love and follow the Lord, but yet there's a war. There are passions in his heart that are warring against him. And friends, it's time for us to acknowledge that and to be mindful of that so that we can engage appropriately and rightly for the glory of God. So as we move on in James chapter number four, it's not clear if James knew of some specific conflict within the church. Maybe James just knew that when two or three are gathered, conflict is sure to follow. Why? Because again, this side of eternity, we are so bound by the flesh. These passengers are warring in all of our hearts. But he's given us the word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the body of Christ, brothers and sisters that we at times even quarrel with. Those same people that we quarrel and fight with from time to time are the very means of grace that God has brought into our life to encourage us and to build us up in love. To minister to us in our time of need. Friends, church is messy. It's not clean and tidy. It's not a well-defined part and a perfectly tied tie. It's sin. It's people. It's relationships. It's struggle. It's difficulty. It's grace. It's patience. It's long-suffering. It's being hurt. It's being taken advantage of. It's giving ourselves. It's emptying ourselves out. As an offering for others. It's not giving up. It's not throwing in the towel. It's not going somewhere else. It's not pursuing bitterness. It's not giving in to these passions that are warring against us. It's being steadfast, as James called us to in chapter number one. That would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But until then, let's look at the extent of these passions. Verse number two, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow. You 
covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So verse number two, you desire and do not have. Just a quick side note. Thinking back to chapter number three, there's your hint. What does this sound like? You desire and do not have. Does it sound a little bit like bitter jealousy? You desire and do not have. So what do you do? You murder. You covet and cannot obtain. Side note, what does this sound like? Chapter three is your hint. You covet and cannot obtain. Does this sound a little bit like selfish ambition? So you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. James circles back to these earthly wisdoms. He's providing some more context to bitter jealousy He's providing some greater context to selfish ambition. He's putting these things on full display for us to understand the extent that the human heart will go in pursuing their own way and their own desires. It is ugly. Desire and do not have. So you murder. Friends, I would hope that we would never allow ourselves to go to that extent of taking another life. But Christ, in his earthly ministry, even redefined murder. That if you look at someone and you hate them in your heart, Jesus said, have you not exercised the desire to murder? This is Christ raising the bar. Redefining the human heart, helping us understand the extent of that depravity. Desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So what do you do? You quarrel and fight. This is consistent with the broader context of the whole of Scripture of understanding the human heart. Because there's this reality. That if the heart in that state is left unchecked, the human heart will go to an incredible depth of depravity. This is why Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9, he declares the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The ESV says, the old King James says, wicked, who can understand it? So James Finishes verse two with an observation, a unique one. You do not have because you do not ask. Interesting observation. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. Well, why wouldn't this individual ask? 
Why wouldn't this individual be in a place where, hey, I need this. I have this situation in my life. And so they're going to go to the Lord. And they're, and they're going to ask and they're going to seek and they're going to knock and they're going to pursue the Lord. Well, why is this individual not doing that? They lack, they don't have because they do not ask. Friends, earthly wisdom, if left unchecked, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, the human heart, the passions that war within us, they lead us to a place of what? Self-sufficiency, right? Self-sufficiency. I don't need to ask the Lord. I don't need to pursue a relationship with him. I don't need to uh, submit to his wisdom and his understanding and his way. Why? Because I have my own desire. I have my own process to follow. The human heart leads us to a place of self-sufficiency. You do not have because you do not ask. When we are pursuing bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, who are we most concerned about? Is it the Lord? It's me, myself, and I. So certainly... I will be lacking. Certainly I will not have. Why? Because I'm not even going to be engaged in the process of asking. Self-sufficiency is where this mindset leads and it flows out from those passions that are warring. So again, in verse number three, James gives further insight into the extent of the depravity of the human heart. Verse three, you ask, do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. To spend it on what? Your passions. There's that word again. So he's circling back in a a bookend type of fashion. We have passions being the source of our conflict. All conflict. The source of all conflict flows out from the human heart. So this person went from not asking at all due to their state of self-sufficiency to when they actually did ask of the Lord, they didn't receive. Why? Because the only reason they were asking was so that they would potentially, what they did potentially receive could be used to serve their own passions. It was self-serving even in the process of asking. This is the manipulation often that we bring to our relationship with the Lord and others within the context of the church. I engage in a relationship with someone else. Why? For what I can gain from it, what I can receive from it, how it can help me get a little bit further in life. Self-interest. Self-sufficiency, receiving only for the benefit of pursuing their passions. So here's here's the thing as we look at James chapter four, friends. I hope you're following me with this. This is such an important foundation for us to be able to rightly work through the remaining portions of this paragraph for us to get this first part right of how of a predicament we actually are in in regards to our human state and our depravity. It's 
So James is calling his readers and he's calling us even today to wake up to the reality that every single one of us has passions in our heart. Those passions are self-serving. They're not pleasing to the Lord. Every single one of us have those passions within us. To deny this universal reality is to deny the doctrine of total depravity. It is to live this life theologically with our heads stuck in the sand in regards to who we actually are. The ugliness of our human heart. James starts this paragraph with these questions, with calling our attention to our passions. Because until we acknowledge fully how bad of a situation we're in, we cannot truly acknowledge and value and celebrate the hope that we have in the gospel and the freedom that's given to us through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so we start here. And I acknowledge it's not necessarily a fun sermon. This isn't one going away where we're high-fiving each other and, and we're ready to go storm the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather there's some contemplation here this evening. That's okay. Because there's different texts with, for different purposes, for different reasons. This is exactly what James wants us to respond. He wants us to look inward and, and to linger and to contemplate and to remember who we are without Christ. James is calling us to be aware, to acknowledge that the conflict in my life at any given moment is more than likely due to the passions of my own heart warring within me. Again, the first step of dealing with any conflict is what? To acknowledge it. And to acknowledge, just not to acknowledge it, but to acknowledge my own involvement in it. So from here, James will take us to point number two, which is the enticement of the world is an endless battle. We're going to have a hope that he gives more grace next week. Don't forget, grace is coming. Hope is coming. Freedom is coming. Victory over these passions is coming. So stay with us as we continue to work through this text. But this evening, let us linger and look inward as our, into our heart as we prepare for a time of communion. Would you join me in prayer as we close our service and as we transition to the Lord's table. Father God, we pray this evening that you would be glorified. You would be magnified. Father, I know that looking inward is never a pretty picture. And even as we remember James, you've told us that we can look into the perfect law of liberty. That law that serves as a mirror to show us these blemishes and these challenges, the areas that need to be addressed for your glory. Father, I pray that you would do that even tonight. I pray that you'd be glorified as we prepare to remember you. I pray that we would prepare 
in a way that glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.